Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. In 1914, World War I had broken out. The Allied forces were growing in numbers, and people from all walks of life were being disrupted, uprooted, and sent to the front line to fight for their country against the belligerent forces. Over 68 million men fought throughout World War I. From the UK alone, almost 6 million men went to fight. By 1915, trench warfare was underway, and news from the front line was sparse at best. The job of reporting the news from the front line was deemed far too risky an occupation, and only a handful of men were sent out to report on what was an incredibly dangerous and often fatal situation. Those who did head to the trenches were often subject to awful conditions, and the job itself was deemed incredibly undesirable. One budding journalist noticed the lack of correspondence coming back from the trenches and bravely decided that they would leave London and head to France, disguising themselves as a soldier to gain entry to the country and the trenches. As casualties and fatalities were coming thick and fast, the checks for joining the army were becoming less thorough and the disguised journalist made their way through without being noticed. Ten exhausting days later, the journalist fell unwell and in order to save their comrades from being charged with concealing them, they decided to reveal their hand. The secret journalism wasn't the only thing that had been kept under wraps. The soldier, who had gone by the name Dennis, was actually Dorothy, a woman from Hendon who decided to ride to war on a bicycle. This time on Macabre London, we uncover the story of Dorothy Lawrence, Britain's first female soldier. The trenches during World War I were an awful place to be. Many men were forced to go to the front line and to sit in trenches for weeks and sometimes months, 
often suffering with awful diseases that only originate in the foulest of living conditions. Trench foot, trench fever, the flu, typhoid and a whole host of parasites were absolutely rife and often ripped through battalions, wiping them out before the warfare had a chance to. If the diseases didn't kill you, then the fighting would. Artillery and regular heavy fire meant that whole regiments were often wiped out. In World War I, the main tactic was to just continue fighting until the central powers of Germany, Austria, Hungary and Turkey ran out of men to fight. That way, the rest of the world would win. The tactic worked eventually, but in the interim, the conflict was bloody, unrelenting and horrific. As the front line was so horrendous, the general public had to rely on scant news reports coming back via battalions and the army themselves. The newspaper reporting was infrequent and often peppered with inaccuracies, with people having to rely on the weekly broadcast news shown in local cinemas, or from letters sent by their loved ones on the front lines, which of course didn't say much, as soldiers were forbidden from providing details, as these were military secrets. For 17-year-old Dorothy Lawrence, she saw an opportunity arising from World War I that others had not. As a budding freelance journalist, she decided she would head to the front line to report on things firsthand. However, this journey wouldn't be simple, and she'd need to come up with a plan if she was going to make her way into the war zone. Dorothy was a modest girl from humble upbringings. She was born in 1896 in Hendon in North London to an unwed mother, and her father disappeared shortly after she was born, leaving the pair to fend for themselves. At the age of 13, Dorothy's mother died, leaving the girl orphaned. She was then adopted by guardians of the church and placed in a fairly well-off household in Salisbury, but by the age of 17, she'd moved back to London to start her career as a writer. To begin with, Dorothy found herself frustrated that the publications she approached were only really interested in her writing puff pieces, but in order to make a name for herself, she agreed to do so and began climbing the journalistic ladder. She landed a few articles for prestigious publications such as The Times, but found that the work was sporadic at best, and not the big scoop she'd been hoping for. In search of something more interesting, she decided to move to Paris. Whilst abroad, the First World War broke out, and Dorothy had an idea. If she could be commissioned to write from the front line, she could do something that had never been done before as a female war correspondent. To get the ball rolling while still in Paris, she approached many British newspaper outlets to see if they'd be interested in her proposition to write from the front line. At the time, newspapers were not comfortable sending anyone into such dangerous territory, let alone a woman, and so she received knockback after knockback. Disappointed, she was considering giving up the whole plan, but a letter dropped through her door from one editor which read that if she could get there, they'd be happy to host her reports in their paper. With the bit firmly between her teeth, Dorothy worked on her next move. The task to get to the front line would be no mean feat. After all, civilians were banned from entering military territory, and so she would have to disguise herself as being qualified to be there. Women were only allowed near military bases if they were healthcare workers, and so she tried to disguise herself as a nurse, but it was apparent very quickly that she wasn't qualified. 
Dorothy figured that she would have the best possible chance of creating a believable alibi if she was back in Blighty, where she could speak the language. Her French was okay, but she was not fluent enough to be able to disguise herself as a French native, and so it would be very obvious to any authorities that she was trying to sneak through. This could be very dangerous if she was rumbled, as she would have most definitely been accused of being a spy and arrested, or worse, executed. Back in London, and almost a year into war, Dorothy managed to get a placement with the Voluntary Aid Detachment, where she was trained to provide minor nursing care to injured soldiers, but as she was still a teenager at this point, no one was keen to send her into the fray. As weeks went by, it seemed that everyone else was being called out to France except Dorothy, who kept being told she was too young to leave London, and so, instead, she decided to dispense with the formal routes, taking matters into her own hands. Scraping enough money together to buy a second-hand bike for £2, Dorothy set off for France, saying, I'll see what an ordinary English girl, without credentials or money, can accomplish. Riding to the coast, Dorothy paid £3 for her and her bike to make the crossing. Once back in France, she rode back into Paris and got herself organised. Here she set her sights on a town, only a few miles from the trenches. But before she set off, she had to make sure she was well equipped to travel on the shoddy and old bike she'd purchased. After all, the town of Creole that she was headed to was over three hours away by bike. It was the middle of summer, and also scorching hot. Packing the essentials, Dorothy made herself a large brown paper parcel, which she tied to the back of her bike, and off she went. By the time she'd reached Creole, both mudguards had broken on the bike under the weight of her belongings, and her clothes were dusty and dirty from the ride. On her arrival, Dorothy was pleased to see the war hadn't really touched this small village, despite it being so close to the front line. However, when she began turning corners, she saw that the town had in fact suffered a considerable amount of damage. When German soldiers had passed through the town, they had made it their purpose to destroy many of the shops on the main street, so as to leave a mark and to inconvenience the locals. However, Dorothy noted that this had not really had the desired effect, as restaurateurs continued cooking even in damaged buildings, propping up walls and still serving, albeit humble meals, from their premises. In one of the spared cafes, Dorothy took to arriving at breakfast and not leaving until dinner. Her watchful eye cast across casual diners, assessing their moves and listening for information. French soldiers came and went, and before long, Dorothy and her British accent were a point of interest for them. She struck up a good relationship with two handsome soldiers, and after a while, when she felt they were trustworthy enough, she asked them about the possibility of her going to the trenches to report. To begin with, the two men were not particularly keen on the idea. Again, Dorothy's age and the fact she was a woman led them to believe she wouldn't be capable of doing so. Dorothy did, however, ingratiate herself more with the two soldiers by joining them on fishing trips and proving that she had the fortitude the men thought she needed to be at the front line. Also during this time, Dorothy devised a pact with the two men, that there should be no romantic involvement with any of them, as this would only muddy the waters, and she was clear that the only thing she was interested in from either of them was getting to the front line. As the days went past and more hours were spent in the cafe getting to know the men that were passing through, Dorothy noticed that many men that went towards the front line never returned. 
You may have thought that this would put her off from deciding to push forward with her plan, but despite the knowledge that the trenches were deadly, she rallied and asked her two soldier friends for help. Packing her off with everything she needed, Dorothy once again took to her battered bicycle and rode six miles to Son Lee. Looking rather out of place so close to the front line, she was stopped by military police who wanted to know what a British woman was doing on a bicycle so close to a war zone. When she said she was a freelance reporter, they arrested her, but when they realised she didn't pose a threat as a spy, they released her. By this time, it was the middle of the night, and with nowhere to go, she went into a nearby forest and slept on a farmer's haystack until morning. Waking up the following day, Dorothy had time whilst laying on her haystack in the dawn twilight to think about what she would do next. She thought through her journey so far, which had led her to the haystack, and considered that the only way she would be able to make it to the front line would be to disguise herself. She considered trying to go as a nurse again, and for a short while, this was her plan. Riding back four hours to Paris, it wasn't long until she was back on the grind, watching people in cafes, waiting to see if she could find a way in. When she overheard two familiar accents gabbing over a café au lait, she knew she would be able to ingratiate herself with them easily. Two British soldiers got chatting to Dorothy, and over the course of a few days, she explained her self-set mission, and they agreed to help her out. In order to not get in trouble themselves, and to make sure Dorothy wasn't found out before she'd even begun her plan, she convinced the soldiers to smuggle her a soldier's uniform, piece by piece, to her humble Parisian apartment. To any onlooker, Dorothy was accepting parcels of washing from the men, but little did anyone realise she was building a disguise. Dorothy practised with the help of her soldier friends, binding her body to make her look like a man. If she could make herself look convincing enough, she would be able to enlist and make it to the front line and in to the trenches. As the uniform she'd borrowed was boxy, her small frame didn't fill it the way it was meant to be filled, and so she stuffed the arms, back and shoulders with padding to make herself look more masculine and boxy. The trousers were completely baffling to her, as at this time it was uncommon for women to wear trousers, forcing herself into a pair which had no give at all and were cut straight up and down. With her uniform sorted, it was time to learn how to be a soldier. After all, if Dorothy tried to join a troop but didn't know the basics, it would be pretty obvious that she was an imposter. Her soldier friends taught her how to march and some basic drills, enough for her to be believable, but she was still looking too... feminine. Dorothy traded in her long hair in favour of a short back and sides carried out by two military policemen from Scotland, who one can only assume were friends of the British soldiers or maybe another cafe acquaintance. After managing to obtain the correct paperwork and tags, she took on the pseudonym of Private Dennis Smith. After all, nobody would choose to be called Dennis, so that was a smart choice on her part. She forged her own ID and safe conduct pass, which, had she been found to be carrying this, that would have immediately rung alarm bells. Safe conduct passes were only issued in very rare cases and would have most definitely not have been given to your bulk standard soldier. But it did mean that if she came into trouble along her journey, she would be able to produce this as effectively a get-out-of-jail-free card. That's if people believed it. 
The last thing to do was to make her appearance look like she'd been travelling for quite a while and that she'd already been in combat. This meant replicating the look of a soldier that had been outside, tanning her skin with diluted furniture polish. She also scratched up her face to make it look like she had a bad shaving rash from using blunt razors and dry shaving in the trenches. The time had come. Dorothy was now Private Dennis Smith of the 1st Leicestershire Regiment, and she was going to war. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Her trusty beaten-up bicycle would once again be her loyal steed, and she set off on the nine-hour journey to Albert. Once she'd made it into the town, she managed to once again find a helpful Englishman by the name of Tom Dunn. Tom was from Lancashire in northwest England, and back home, he was a coal miner. Due to his expertise down the mines, he was stationed in Albert as a sapper as part of the British Expeditionary Force Tunnelling Company. Dorothy begged Tom for a place in the company, and after a lot of persuading, he agreed and brought her on board. Tom was the only one who knew Dorothy's secret, and if he was found out, he would have most definitely been arrested for smuggling a girl into the camp, so it was imperative that Dennis went undetected. The work Dennis was tasked with brought her incredibly close to the front line. Only a matter of metres away, the tunnelling company worked laying mines right under the noses of their enemies. Day after day, Dennis and Tom were under heavy fire, and luckily both of them managed to escape being wounded. Tom, knowing that nights in the trenches were horrific for even the most hardened of men, decided it would be safer for Dennis to sleep elsewhere. The task of Dennis undressing in front of other soldiers and perhaps revealing herself as Dorothy accidentally was too great a risk for the both of them. Tom was not only nervous that Dorothy would be found out, but also worried that if the men in the trenches did find out who she really was, that she could be in danger of assault. To protect her, Tom found her an abandoned cottage in a forest that she could stay in overnight, and she would travel to and from every day. Dennis was a good soldier, 
and while she worked, she listened closely to every word that was said, either making note of it later on, or committing it to memory. After all, the whole idea of being at the front line was to provide an account or at least several articles once she'd made it back to safety. Dennis lasted just ten days in the trenches, but fatigued after the constant horror of it all, she succumbed to one of the many diseases that was rife amongst the soldiers, and perhaps as a result of sleeping in a damp cottage. Too ill to carry on, and also growing increasingly concerned for her safety, Dennis had to give up and turn herself in. Terrified that Tom would be found out for smuggling her to the front line, she bravely surrendered herself to the commanding sergeant. She told him who she really was, and pleaded with him to let her go so she could head home, but angered that someone had breached his own troop, and suspicious that she may be a spy, the sergeant had her taken in from the trench and turned into the military police. She was arrested, but managed to run away, but as she didn't really have anywhere to go and could definitely end up dead without the help of others, she decided to return and surrender herself. Once in custody at the British Expeditionary Force HQ, she was questioned and put under arrest as a prisoner of war. Not knowing what to do with the journalist, they decided to send her for further interrogation at Calais. Making the long journey on horseback, she arrived and was instantly put under intense questioning. In a room full of military officials, Dorothy was asked several times about her motivations behind her actions. The men realised she wasn't a threat and didn't think she was a spy, but they thought she may have been up to something else. A term they kept using was camp follower, and asking her if she was one. Dorothy didn't know what this term meant, and so for a long while they spoke steadily at cross-purposes, as they believed Dorothy was lying to them. As it turns out, camp follower was a term for a lady of the evening who used to service the men in the trenches. It tells you a lot that they were willing to believe that over her being a journalist as to how women were viewed in society back then. Eventually, they realised that Dorothy wasn't a spy or a camp follower, but she did have a lot of military secrets stored in her head, and effectively, she knew too much. Not knowing what to do with her, she was sent to St Omer, a commune which had been turned into an army headquarters, where, yet again, she was interrogated. This time, the army went all in and had Dorothy monitored constantly by eight soldiers and kept isolated. As Dorothy was a complete anomaly, it was difficult for the army to know what the appropriate course of action was to take with her. After again explaining that she wasn't a threat and just wanted to publish her stories in the newspaper, the men in charge sent her to a convent where she boarded with the local nuns. As the British army was concerned, Dorothy may make them look weak, inept and open to infiltration by a woman of all things, they decided to give her an ultimatum. Sign an affidavit and swear not to publish her intel to the papers, or she could stay at the convent. Dorothy had to throw away her dreams of becoming a war correspondent in favour of her freedom, and promised to not say anything to the papers about her ordeal. She was then released and given a military escort back to the border. Once back in England, the army once again spoke to Dorothy and made her swear she wouldn't publish any work without express consent from the army. This permission would be a long time coming, and completely scuppered her plans to report back from the front line in a timely fashion. Having to surrender her plans, 
she was escorted to London and taken to Scotland Yard, the Metropolitan Police Station, and then subsequently released. Dorothy didn't have a home in London to go back to, so after the police had let her go, she was left with nothing but a pet guinea pig she'd been gifted by the nuns at the convent. Once reacclimated in London, she didn't simply forget her time on the front line as she'd been requested to by the army. Instead, she kept pushing to publish a book of her time at war. She managed to eventually secure a publisher, and they were keen to get Dorothy's book on the shelves, but due to the nature of the book, she had to heavily edit and cut out many interesting accounts as requested by the army. Lawrence published her account of her experiences in 1919, in a book called Sapper Dorothy Lawrence, named after the type of soldier she'd been in Albert for those ten days. The book, due to its heavily edited text, which cut out a lot of the interesting stuff, wasn't a success, leaving Dorothy penniless. Also concerningly, she was left with untreated mental health problems after her time at war, which was quite possibly PTSD from her time in the trenches. By 1925, she was experiencing worsening health conditions and was sent to the London County Mental Hospital and later transferred to the Colney Hatch Lunatic Asylum. Dorothy sadly never returned to a normal life and spent her remaining 40 years as a patient at the hospital, where she eventually passed away at the age of 76. As the first female soldier, Dorothy sacrificed her life for just 10 days on the front line and after the war, her voice was silenced, making her mission a shell of what it could have become. But despite the attempts to crush her dreams, Dorothy had actually succeeded. Even though the aftermath was not quite what she'd expected when she walked out of Scotland Yard with her guinea pig under her arm, she'd achieved what she'd set out to do. The girl with no credentials or money had obtained the adventure she craved in the face of all adversity. She'd gone above and beyond to achieve her goals, convincingly turning herself into Private Dennis Smith, deceiving the British Army, and without a doubt Dorothy's courage and determination to become the first female soldier is something to be admired. Thank you for joining me for that episode. As always, I'd love to know what your thoughts are on this one. So do please leave me a comment on YouTube or on my social media if you're listening to the podcast. Whilst you're here, if you wouldn't mind giving the video a thumbs up or the show a rating on your podcast provider, then I'll be eternally grateful. It lets me know that you enjoy what I make and that I'm not just shouting into the void of the internet on a regular basis. If you're new around here and you've not yet subscribed, please do. I'd love for you to join the Ghoul Gang. We're a friendly bunch, so do come and join us. Also, if you do like the show and you'd like to support what I do so I can make more of them, then why not consider becoming a patron like these amazing legendary executive Patreon producers, Amanda, Amy, Barry, Jess, Kate, Mary, Ren, Sam, Sarah and Veronica, and all of our other patrons too. I'm actually just about to do a gin tasting over there and read a few things from the latest 40 in times, so if you want to see that, then that's where to head to. If you're not up for a long-term commitment and you'd just like to buy me a coffee or something from the Amazon wishlist, then there's a one-off donation link in the description too, or you can use the Acast supporter link at the beginning of the podcast or the thanks button underneath my video on YouTube. All support is absolutely vital for me to keep making these shows and thank you so very much for your help. It means the absolute world. 
A big shout out to Rosa for sending me this book from my Amazon wishlist. I'm really excited to read this one. It's been on my list for a while. And also to Moose for sending me this amazing lipstick and also this incredible map of folklore, which I cannot wait to use for something which I'm not quite ready to talk about yet, but will be starting in the summer. Thanks for joining me for another macabre tale from London's past. I've been Nikki Druce and I'll see you ghouls next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.